Uh, welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today I'm very excited. We've got Trevor Crane uh, on the end of the line. He is an international best-selling author, publisher. He's the host of the Greatness Quest podcast and the co-founder of superkidsbooks.com. He's a mentor, a coach, and all-around cool guy. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Coolness. I like that as an intro. That should just... Let's just awesome start with that, coolness. right? Awesome. Yeah. Trevor Crane. So, uh, yes. fill in the blanks for our listeners. Tell us a bit about what makes you, what you know, what gets you up in the morning? What are you passionate about? Uh, that's a good question. So, we, you mentioned some book stuff, and that sounds really cool. Uh, I like that. It sounds cool. Uh, I, the truth is, it took me over 20 years to publish my first book. So, it took me a while to figure that stuff out. And I, I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about, I love the name of your podcast because I teach that we should embrace our vulnerabilities, our fears, our failures, the adversity and those challenges end up becoming the asset and resource for us to win. It's like, it's a requirement. That's the formula for success is that we have challenges and go through them. And too oftentimes we're like, oh no, boo-hoo, this bad thing happened to me. When that is you're under pressure and then diamonds under pressure, that whole thing. So um, I've been very focused on storytelling and helping people tell their story so much. So you mentioned superkidsbooks.com. That's my daughter's website. She's 11 years old oh, and she's published 10 number one best-selling books. Uh, she's in the process of working on three others that are in, that are in the, just getting edited and formalized right now. And so I'm really just about helping people live their mission. And every day I wake up and try to help people become more rich and, or not rich and famous, but rich and happy. Uh, and there's an, my definition of rich and wealth and whatnot, but I came from a background of where I would have thought it was more challenging, you know, not having a lot of money. My dad was a horseshoer. We always fought about money. I was the poorest kid of all my friends that we grew up with. And I had all those challenges that went with it. I don't need to tell you all of those stories today. Don't make me cry. But, um, yeah, so I get up every day to just try to help people. I feel a little bit, and I typically am wearing a superhero shirt, not always uh, Star Wars. So my uh, <laughs> my, I have a, a belief that we are all a superhero and that we're out there looking for people to help. Um, and that that's our job is to find people to help. And we're not, you don't see Superman running around on the street attacking people. Like you've probably seen if you go to networking events and someone comes out with their business card and they're like, hey, blah, 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 blah. you know, like, oh, dude, woman, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you got. Like, I'm just confused. And you're like, get me out of this place. So, but Superman was walking around like in, in disguise and he was waiting for people to yell, hey. You know, help! I'm looking for you, and I think there are millions. There, are, there are countless thousands of people that are out there searching every day, and they're starving, and they're hungry, and they need your story. They, and that's what I'm passionate about is helping people learn how to craft a message that helps them monetize their challenges um, and turn those into their advantage. Good title for your uh, well done, podcast. Well done. Um, there's so many places I want to go with this right now. One of them is I'm a parent as well. I've got a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. And I'm always curious if parents who sort of, they believe this concept that we need challenges and we need adversity and all the rest of it. But like, we also have this innate urge to protect our kids, right? And so do you almost wish or hope for or help your kids manage adversity or challenges in their life? So it's a good question. I've got two two kids. I've got a uh, an eleven year old daughter and a six month old son. Actually, I think he's seven months now. So he may be screaming in the background here momentarily if you hear him. I, and my new decoration in my house are like play toys for kids, right? <clears throat> you know. And so um, I believe someone asked me this question recently, and she has a seventeen year old son, and she was like, "Well, she's doing everything she can to give him everything." He wants, but then yet she's recognizing that he's a little spoiled and he hasn't really gone. He doesn't really have any big hopes and dreams and desires. And 
I don't know that I did necessarily at 17 either. Maybe I did because I was a little, I was definitely hungry because I grew up where I felt I was under pressure. I didn't feel like I was the smartest kid. And so school kind of sucked for me, but it was a hell of a lot better than at home where I was raised with multiple stepbrothers and sisters at different times. There were 11 people in our house at one stage and most of them, five stepbrothers and sisters and one degenerate uncle and a father who was a stepfather who was a, a, a roofer and a drunk. And so I didn't like it at home. So I went to school and extracurricular activities and sports and student council and chess club. I mean, if you could join it, uh, extra, I joined it because I was like, this, this sucks. So I grew up with a desire to want more. And I felt like I need to move away from this. And so when this young woman asked me about her son, I was trying to brainstorm it and it took me like two days to come up with a good answer. So I finally have one. It's been, you know, and I think it's one word. I'm a big dumb guy. So I like simplicity, you know, and if it's more than a couple of words, I can't really understand it. So for me, it's pressure. And I mentioned that before, but I think it's pressure. I think pressure, a pressure cooker, diamonds are created under pressure. That's a, that's a cliche. But what I am excited for with my daughter is that she has pressure in her life. Now, a lot of it is self-imposed, which I love because there's a little bit of sense of um, self-discipline with that. So she wants to do well in school and the, you know she's joined a new math thing and then they, they required all this homework. Now, I want to just play with my daughter. I'm a big kid and I just want to go swim in the pool, which is right out there, or go play around and do stuff and travel and do fun stuff or be with my daughter and play all the stupid games she wants to play because I'm into it. Like I'll play Minecraft and <laughs> Wolf Quest and whatever yeah. <laughs> Legos, you name it, I'm in, on it. And so I'm like, well, screw this math stuff. Like I don't want her to do it, but I'm so excited that was my internal voice. I'm like, this sucks. I don't want her to do homework. I don't want to help her with this damn homework. I don't want to do fractions. I can't remember fractions, you know? So I don't, but that was my inside voice. My outside voice wanted to help hold her accountable to doing those things and finishing. And I'm so excited that she has pressure in her life and I am choosing to celebrate that. Now I'm going to, I love to celebrate my challenges. We can talk about this because this saved my bacon when I filed a $2.2 million bankruptcy and I lost everything, including my daughter and the woman I was in love with, her mom. Uh, when my daughter was two years old, she left me, left the, the state I was living in. That was Florida at the time. And um, I was homeless, helpless, heartless. <laughs> you know, I had nothing. And in that time frame, some people might have like considered, you know, suicide and different stuff. But I was the happiest bankrupt guy you'd have ever met. I'm not saying I didn't cry. You know, I'm not saying that I didn't experience the pain. I did, but I had a focus that helped me. I knew that this was a setup for success, even though it completely sucked at the time. So we can go in any of these areas you want to go in, but I think the word is pressure and it's our job as parents to put our kids in positions where they are under pressure to for whatever. So that that's why sports are so good and competition is so good. I mean, I like that. I don't believe everybody deserves a trophy. There are winners and losers. And I'm and you, when you're a loser, that does not mean when you lose, it doesn't mean you're a loser. That means it's a setup for you to be a bigger badass down the line. So you obviously had dealt with some pressure so that in this moment of bankruptcy and losing everything, you already had figured out some kind of mindset for it, setting it yourself up for a challenge, like you could understand that there was some purpose even though you felt the pain. So somebody in similar circumstances might have turned, like you said, to addiction or suicide, you know, all those sorts of uh, things. How did you learn this? So what was the stage that so you had pressure as a kid? How did you, over time, maybe develop this mindset so that when you lost everything, it didn't make you completely, I'm, I'm sure you had a good cry and it was terrible, but um, you didn't completely crumble. You somehow moved forward. How did you learn it? I wanted the That's a good question. So I think it's a, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to give you the real answer rather than something that sounds cute. Yeah. I think that the reality is, as a kid growing up, and as a young adult before, I mean, this happened to me in 2009, so I wasn't, I wasn't that young of an adult at that time, but um, I continually was in pressure situations, whether it was something that I was striving for if I was playing a sport and I wanted to win the game or whatnot, or if it was under yucky circumstances at home where someone slapping me around or not enjoying things. So um, I think that 
over the years, I just knew that hard work and discipline and that this will pass. So I'd already created this pattern of beliefs in my life that if as long as I don't quit, I don't lose. And it doesn't mean I didn't file the bankruptcy. I didn't. It doesn't mean that I didn't lose the love of my life. And I didn't. It doesn't mean that I didn't fail the class. And I didn't. It it doesn't mean that it excludes failure. It's just that failure didn't matter. Like it was part of the process. And so all that sounds happy duty, whatever, but I will give everybody one uh, question because remember I'm a simple I, I try to break things into simplicity. And I was focused on how to live a better quality of life for a long time. And I used to ask myself questions. I was a very success oriented, goal oriented young man. And nothing in my life was good enough. I always wanted to win. I took the word um, uh, complacent, no, uh, sass. Uh, uh, I took I took silly words like that out of my vocabulary. Like I didn't want to be uh, I didn't want to settle. I didn't want to be like at any rate. I was always trying to go get them. And uh, what ended up happening is I was always trying to figure out how I could win, how I could be better, how I could make more money because I grew up having with some scarcity. So money was kind of a big thing that I wanted. And I crafted a question that really served me well and this I think saved my life and definitely my state of mind during my bankruptcy and it is the question what's the gift and that discipline of asking this question every single day like this became my primary question and this I learned something from Tony Robbins years ago when I went through one of his programs called Date with Destiny And he teaches that there is generally a core question that we all ask ourselves continually throughout the day. And it's different for everyone. And this question is kind of a survival type of question. And when he when he phrases it, he's like helps you discover what's your question. And it could be like, what's wrong with me? You know, um, why does this always happen to me? You know, what you know, how can I get people to love me? You know, that there's this core thing that you're asking a million times a day unconsciously as you look at every everything. You're like, what's wrong with me? You know, people have these things. And, uh, I, I just discovered that my question was, how can I have more? Because I was never satisfied. That's the word I took out of my vocabulary was satisfaction. I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want to be satisfied because I always want more because that was because I never, and I, I, so at any rate, so that was a good question. And it served me really well. Like it, that was good because then I didn't want to quit and all of that. Yeah. But it, it, this, the challenge is every one of these questions, while it serves you and help protect you and get you where you are, it's not necessarily the best question to get you where you want to go. It like runs so out of its usefulness, doesn't it? Well, what was the darkness? What's the, what's the, there's, there's two sides to it. How does this serve you and how is this not serving you? And how this is not serving you, the question, how can I have more? Well, I was like, oh, look how, look how awesome I am. What a good question. Cause I wasn't running around going, what's wrong with me and other kind of silly things that like didn't make sense to me. It wasn't self deprecating. However, it has some inherent challenges with it. It presupposes that whatever I've got right now isn't enough. So gratitude was really not even in my vocabulary, although I'd lie to myself and say that it was. I was like, yeah, I'm grateful for that. But if I won or I got an A on the test, I always knew I could do better. I was never satisfied. I didn't sit there and truly celebrate and ever say even just thank you and chillax and let it happen. And so it had this this challenge with my happiness, and it was stressing me out. And there were other challenges with it. So it took me a couple of years to come up with this question that really started serving me. And I decided to condition the question every day. So I created a poem. Um, and it, it sounds very frou-frou-y that I wrote a poem, but I did. Uh, I, it was an incantation is what Tony had talked to me about as far as having is. something that you say all the time that yeah. became this mantra. And so to me, it was, what's the gift? What's the gift? What's the gift? And I just, I, I just decided I'm going to say it a million times a day. What's the gift? What's the gift? What's the gift? What's the gift? And no matter how bad it got, I knew there was a gift in it. Cause there's not one thing that happened to me that was bad. Not a person I lost, not a soul I lost, not my dog. All this shit sucked. I don't want yeah, uh, it's really hard. To I don't want bankruptcy way. on anybody. Like I wouldn't want that on my worst night, on my worst um, enemy. Because I don't really have enemies, but I'm just saying it sucks. It makes you feel bad in a lot of different ways, and it uh, is very uncomfortable. But there was so much benefit behind that. Like it gave me a perspective I didn't have before. Um, I ended up having a client after that that was suicidal over a uh, forty thousand dollar debt, and she was an ex nun. 
So I had, and she was a happy, real nice gal, and and she was all scared of her debt. But my association with a two point two million dollar bankruptcy, and having already understood having your house taken away from you, your cars taken away from you, the combination of things, I was able to use my adversities as my advantage, using your podcast name here, but to to connect with her and potentially save her life. And so. I have yet to see where there's not a gift in something. If you take a diamond, I'm holding, this is my key fob for my car right here, and this pretend it's a diamond, and you drop it in a pile of shit, and it's like, it's like, oh no, man, like, I guess I'm gonna have to get a new car. I guess that, that, my wife's diamond, too bad, you know, it's in that pile of shit, that, I don't wanna go through it. I'm just gonna get a new car. But see what what but that you would never do that right you'd be like oh god give me the, give me the gloves I'm going in you know or if it I like I just like I would never like let my car go right I would never let the diamond go we just got to be able to be willing to wade through the crap to go ahead and find the gift in there there is a gift in it um, and I've learned that time and time again and I freak the hell out. If I can't find a gift in something, I lose my mind because I know there is one. And this is kind of the, the litmus test on whether or not you found your primary question is whether or not it drives you insane if you can't make it happen. Like when my dog died, this was years ago, and she's my best friend, and it was my fault she died. Like she got hit, in, uh, hit outside my house by a car. And um, she, I... I knew for two years that it was she was in jeopardy of getting hit by a car. She paid no attention to the street, no attention to traffic. She's the smartest dog I ever had. She would go in a hot air balloon with me. She would travel with me on airplanes. She would swim in the ocean with me. She'd run without a leash beside me. Like this dog would do tricks. She'd hold she'd hold something on her nose. She'd do anything. And I never taught her about traffic. So for two years, I put on my goal list: teach Isis is her name. Teach ISIS about traffic because this dog was like the smartest dog. Like she was a circus dog, man. I could have gotten on like the stupid human tricks on David Letterman or whatever. Like it was just this dog was insanely smart, but I was too lazy to train her about traffic or to put a fence up or to put one of those electric collars on her neck. And so instead, I just flaked it for two years. I took my biggest unconditional love source I had ever had in my entire life. And I just ignored her danger, and she got hit by a car outside my house. And when she, hold on, I think I've got my baby and a coffee coming. What, what? So, so baby, there's little Maverick in his diaper. Maverick. Okay, that's my son. For those of you watching, that's my son, Maverick. And Allie, thank you, Allie. Hi, you're welcome. So, finally got the coffee. Hold on, let me take a drink here because it says... Uh, Best dad ever? What you orchestrated word? that <laughs> to add to the awesome and the cool. Are you thinking, I had to put him in a tux. It's not that's really good. Yeah, thank you. So I, when I lost her and I had, and she was dead in the road and I picked her up and I carried her back to my house. I was in shock and uh, she was a relatively small dog. I was able to hold her in my arms and I just sat there and cried and I was definitely sad to lose her. But I was much more upset that I could have done something about it, and I felt like the biggest loser on the planet. The guy had just betrayed this unconditional love that I had had for the last few years in my life when I things weren't, weren't all awesome in my life at that stage. So for those of you who have pets, you probably love your pet. You, can, you get it. Um, the for the game? next couple of weeks, and I, I dug a hole in my backyard, and I, I lost my shit. Like, I, I, while I was digging the hole, I dug a really deep hole, and I I just fell down in the dirt and in the hole and, and just wept until I couldn't breathe anymore. And so for the next two weeks, I was completely messed up, and I couldn't figure out why. I knew I lost her, and I knew it was devastating. But what ended up happening is I I, uh, did some kind of silly breathing exercise or something at one stage. And what happened is I was going through this process with a friend of mine, uh, and I realized that the problem was I hadn't found the gift in this. There was no gift as far as I was concerned. Now, it wasn't even a – it wasn't the question that was – because I conditioned this so long, Petra, this question – 
I couldn't find the answer. And I was like the world, the universe was messed up and I couldn't figure out what it was. Cause it's not like I was walking around all day going, Oh my dog. Like I'm, I, you know, I, it sucked, but I hadn't answered this question until it finally came to me that what if the gift of her dying is the gift that she gave me, that she made the ultimate sacrifice to teach me a lesson to put love first, no matter what. And that one day I would have a family. I mean, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, you know, so I, a family was way in the future, but at one stage I would have a family and I would have kids. And instead of making the mistake that I made with her, I would learn this golden lesson that I had to put love first, that it was the most important thing. And that she made the ultimate sacrifice to give me that gift and to be my guardian angel of unconditional love as well. When that came to me, I lost my stuff and I just cried. And it was, I mean, I don't want, I wish it hadn't happened. Uh, so it does, that was the pile of shit. It sucked. But it was the gift I needed so that my kids come first. And not just my kids, but the people that I love comes first. And if you and I have a falling out and I don't like you anymore and you do something that I don't think is nice and, you know, and I'm like, well, screw you, Petra, because that could happen, right? Because things happen and sometimes we miscommunicate, um, you know, because the people that are in love and they sleep together every night, then they say, oh, screw you. I don't want to be with you anymore. And then they fight and that stuff happens. So stuff happens. But if I love first, and I learned in several other things that happened in my life how important it is to put that first, and it doesn't mean that I will allow you or anybody to walk all over me. Doesn't mean that I, for you know, but but I got the greatest gift of my life in the loss of my of this dog, and I have now a, um, a guardian angel of love. I imagine her. She. I've got to pick. hold on, hold on. I'm, this is not bullshit. Hold on. This is this is Isis. <laughs> and and on this uh, this uh, the yeah, picture frame, love. I've got the words unconditional love on this. And this is her on my boat. Um, I had a water sports business at the time and I was living in Naples, Florida. And she is so I so at any rate I don't even get into my dog anymore. But what I did is I found the answer to this question: What's the gift? Because so there the, always is one. Yeah, there there is, and I want to point out the the struggle in between. So it isn't just because you've conditioned yourself to have the question that it's always clear. You're still in the shit, just going. And and I felt emotional listening to you. And this is where there's always purpose to these stories, right? Um, and I always learn from these podcast interviews, which is just great. Uh, and I was thinking, uh, my stepfather, who raised me, um, we don't speak anymore. We don't speak at all. He sort of disowned me. It's really complicated. And in my mind, I'm going, what the fuck is the gift in that? Where the fuck is the gift? Like, I've done everything I can do. And um, it hurts me regularly and every day. And I'm also in a place, because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm doing lots of like solo projects and stuff, that it can feel pretty isolating. Um, and just the way that you described, and I'm not sure if it's the exact answer for me, but the way you described the, the prioritizing love, because work can be an escape, right? Even if it's purposeful work and work that we love, God, feel an emotion, feel some pain, just get your head down and tell yourself you're purposeful, right? And avoid oh, those related. But then sometimes you put your head up and you're like, oh, where are the people, you know? Where are the relationships that aren't the ones that you connect with on the stage or in your therapy practice or in the podcast even? Um, so I think that that's what I'm going to take from this. I'm sure there'll be more. But um, what's asking myself, what's the gift? Even in, because I can see it in being raised in a cult and some of the, the sort of background story that I have, I've been able to hone in on what's the gift in that. And it allows me to connect to other people's story. And I know that you teach some of this. So you teach people how to use their pain or their um, adversity, their challenges, and how to allow it to be useful in some way. And I know you've written some, some books. And um, like, what, what are the key things that people can do to, to allow themselves to utilize that gift of their story in a way that doesn't make them fall apart, but allows it to be impactful in some way? Okay, so two things. The first part, I just 
gave you. And that is that that's what I wanted my first book to be about was this mindset and this question of the gift. And I'll give it to your audience right now if they would like. I wrote this poem um, that evolved. And I, I you, Petra, you said that just having this question and this focus and this discipline of having done it, yeah. now it solves all things. No, yeah. no, no, it did not, was not easy. I did not like it. No. <laughs> Whatever, like I had to search for it. And so much so for this poem that I wrote, I never set out, I'm a guy. I didn't, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy that does guy stuff. Like, and I didn't be like, oh, I'm going to write a poem. You know, like, I know what I'm going to do, but I just knew I needed to rhyme or I wouldn't remember. <laughs> and so and I and so I sat down and I'm like, well, I'm gonna write something that inspires me. <sighs> Nothing. Like I didn't come up with anything. It took me two weeks to come up with something, and I got nothing. Like I pulled out a blank piece of paper, Petra, and I didn't write one word on it for two weeks. Like this was my poem. Like absolute, utter, complete, utter failure. Two weeks. And every time and every day, and I, but I was dis. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I came up with nothing. I no brainstorming. I was just like, <laughs> okay. So the poem came to me. I had a great day. I laid down in bed alone. Uh, like I said, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And uh, I was, I was just, it was one of those days where I, it was just, I, I'd done everything. Like, I, it wasn't like the best day of my life, but I was just like, ah, I was a good day. Everything got good at work and the combination of things. And I was tired. It was midnight or 11. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to finally go to sleep. And I am, I have a superpower, not just the pretend one where I'm trying to help people, but like I can fall two seconds. So I'm like, so I like go to fall asleep and I'm like, I have one breath and I'm going to be out. And then what happened is instead of falling deeply asleep, I woke up. I sat bolt upright in bed and I gave the first and I and I spoke the first two lines of my poem. Thank you, God, for loving me and giving me the gifts I need for every moment of every day. Millions of miracles come my way. And in the morning when I rise, I see your love shining through my eyes, a reflection of you I see inside of me. Guided by love, I'll always be. Now, those are a lot of words. You probably aren't focused on all of them. But, like, for me, what I discovered in that, it came to me, all of that. I changed one word of that entire thing to this day. And it was, it doesn't really matter what word it was. It's irrelevant. Thank you, God, for loving me and giving me the gifts I need, that everything I was getting was a gift. And every moment, this moment of every day, millions of miracles are coming my way, regardless of whether or not I'm paying attention to them. But I've got this, and I've got that, and I've got this, and I can breathe, and they make pens, and they make paper, and they make electricity, and they make the internet. Millions of miracles are coming my way. And then I could go ahead and deframe a lot more of it. That poem goes on now for two minutes, where I have these different things, because it evolved, it grew in my life. So if anybody watching right now goes to whatsthegift.com, I will give you the book I wrote about this. It was not my first book because while that saved my bacon and it helped shift my mindset, and I have a 30-day goal-setting challenge that comes with that book. So it's kind of it's cool. You can get it as a free gift. I created this so I could give it to my audience for free. But um, that's the first thing is that there is a gift. But Petra, you just described something. You said that when I told that story, it brought up stuff for you. Here's the powerful thing about everybody's story. When you learn to be authentic with telling your own story, not to get something, not manipulatively, not how people are sometimes addicted to their damn story. And you're like, and you're like, oh, Jesus, I've heard this before. And they like they're using it to fulfill their needs. And it's like, look, shut the freaking hell up. I can't stand it any longer. So not that person. The person that learns to use their story as power for themselves and others and learns how to tell it in such a way where they are associated to it and they have already found the lessons in it. They're not attached to it. They now use it as fuel. Like that story transforms the listener, not by listening to my story. But when you tell a phenomenal story, what happens is people go into this unconscious state where they tell themselves a story. They associate to their own story. 
their own truth and they have their own experience. And so the power in that is so important. And that's why I'm focused on, and we'll talk about my other books and how I can help support everybody with learning how to master your storytelling to turn your tool into your most powerful marketing tool to transform lives and help people. But you asked the question, you asked a question, I want to make sure I answer it. You said that one of the things that came up for you is like, how the hell do I find a gift in this? This sucks, right? Like somebody tried to date rape a girlfriend I had. He was an employee of mine, and I wanted to kill him, Petra. Kill him. Yeah, yeah kill him. I was dead. going I was on one side, I was I lived in Florida at the time. I was go I went to California. If I had if I had been in Florida, I could probably be in jail today for having freaking killed him. I did, I did, I I ooh, it was mm-hmm. the distance really served me yeah. that time. But I learned something through that entire experience. I came back and forgave him, Petra. I forgave him not for him. I learned forgiveness for me. But here's how I did it. So I was in massive fucking pain when this happened. He had betrayed me. I'd given him money. I'd put him up in my house. I helped him get through his divorce. I freaking paid for his divorce. I knew his wife. Like I had done, he had been working for me for two years. I gave him a job. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking kill him. Okay. That was my happy light side, right? But I was, and there was no gift in it. And a friend of mine told me a story where he described this woman completely betraying him. A horror story. A horror story. And he said he forgave her and that was one of his, and he said there was a gift in it. And I was like, you're fucking insane. I would kill that bitch. Like he took, took his uh, daughter away from him after two years where he raised her primarily, cheated on him, stole his money, did all kinds of evil shit. And he said, thank you. And I was like, fuck you. I'm going to kill him. And I killed that bitch. And I spent a week. I, fortunately I was on the other side of the country and I couldn't get to, uh, Sean was his name. And uh, I kept asking, I kept, I kept processing. So here's what I did though. Petra, I didn't hide from my feelings. What came up for you? Now you called bullshit. You said, there's no gift in this. I, I still suffer every day from this challenges I'm going through. Okay. So I don't know what went down with you guys and your, your stepfather. Um, but I do know that it happened in the past. And every day that you choose, or every day that I was going to choose to hate this motherfucker, this guy named Sean, and I was going to go back and punch him in the face or potentially kill him or do evil shit to him, even if I punched him in the face, is going to hurt my hand. And every, and even if I didn't do that, and I took the high road, but I still stayed pissed, nothing to be walking around. Every place I see him, if I see him, I'm going to kill him. Like, wh- that was all on me. Yeah. I suff- I chose to suffer. It was me. I was torturing myself. I was fucking killing myself. And so the gift of forgiveness, I gave him so that I could give him to me. And again, my dog Isis came into play. And again, unconditional love. And then me taking responsibility for that entire circumstance. I knew I had an alcoholic living with me. I knew that this guy was potentially capable of whatever. But I chose to love him unconditionally, even though he had been a complete dick. So I can't, and it was tough. I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't believe, I can't even believe I'm telling you this. I honestly forgave him in my heart and my soul. I came back and I didn't, I wasn't mad at him. I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want anything. It's not my job to punish him. No. Like that, who gave me that job? Like in that poor son of a bitch. So once I just chose to love him, regardless of how fucked up his shit was, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that I want him in my life. But the way that I got to this lesson is that I experienced the pain. I didn't fucking sit there and go, well, I don't want to focus on how pissed I am. No, I got pissed. I, when I got scared, I cried. So when I went through my bankruptcy, this was years later, I went through my bankruptcy. Yeah. Petra, the, the second thing, other than finding a gift, the second thing that I learned, and I'll tell you where this came from because I didn't figure this out on my own, uh, but I learned that you should feel your emotions. They are there for a reason. You don't put your hand on the stove and it's hot and you're like, cup it out. You know, just don't. I'm going to pretend like it's not happening. No, your fucking hand is going to burn off. If it hurts, fucking remove it. In your world, if you feel pain, it's like giving you a lesson. It's like, hey, hey, jackass, pay attention. You know, so we need to pay attention. So if you feel angry, I say feel angry. If you feel sad, feel sad, but go through it. Too often times we're like, have a sip over lip. Don't tell people how you really feel. Fuck that. That causes cancer. That fucking kills people. That stresses you out. That's a lie. That's not telling the truth. I learned this from a book called, and I'm so aggressive right now, and, and F-bombs just started flying. As soon as, you, as soon as you opened that key, the door, I just jumped right in. 
Um, I read this in a book that's much more happy, Pappy, um, and it was years ago, and it's called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. It's a personal development book from years ago, yeah. and I read it, and in there, the protagonist, his name is Dan, he's the main character, he was with a friend, and he, had, he, he uh, went to go see his friend at work. And he went to his place of business, and it had burned down. And he was like, oh, my God, fire trucks were there. And he's like, is my friend okay? Like, where is he? And then he saw his friend walk up, and his friend had left or something and then was coming back to work. And he saw his friend witness his business burn to the ground, everything that he had toiled for for the last five years. And Dan watched his friend not get mad, not get sad, not like go, oh, shucks, not give it a stuff, a stiff upper lip. What he saw his friend do was experience the raw emotions of how it made him feel in, in absolute fullness. He saw a man fall to his knees and completely lose his shit. He wept as though his soul had died. And it lasted for a minute or two. And Dan's heart went out to him, and he just saw this man in such grief. And then he saw him rise. And a transformation had happened. He, his friend had moved on. Dan wanted to go up and console him and hug him. And, oh, my gosh, this must be the worst thing in the world. I don't know how you feel. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's, um, that's, yeah, that, was, that was unfortunate. You know, but um, I guess I'm I'm going to have to do he, he moved on and Dan, they had a conversation. I'm not going to try to recount the conversation right now. But Dan was flabbergasted. He was like, what? It just what do you mean? Like, don't you know your business just burned down? And he's like, well, yeah, you didn't see me. I just fell to the ground and cried like it was re- I was really sad. And he's like, well, you don't seem sad now. He's like, well, because I went through the emotions, like I experienced it. And now I've got the lessons from that. And now I'm called to do something else. I don't know what, but I'm excited about that new thing. And Dan, his revelation, and I made, it was one of those revelations. And if you read, you and you discover something, you should pause and then learn what you learn. What's more important than the words that you read or the words that you hear are your words on what you say. So if you want to capture revelation, it is your revelation. If you want to capture real life scripture that the universe or the Lord or whatever it is that you believe in is bringing you, whatever it is, the voice inside, then capture it, your revelation in words. It, your scripture is the truth for you of what you learned. And what I learned that day was what Dan learned. He witnessed a peaceful warrior, his, his first experience of finding someone who knew how to experience their emotions. And I was given that gift or that book when I was in my 20s. So Petra. I will get pissed. I don't hide from shit. I will go ahead and get into it. Doesn't mean that I'm going to cry on this podcast. It's not necessarily always appropriate to do that. <laughs> Come on, woman, cry. I'm, yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah. But like, I think it's two pieces how to deal with this. Number one is knowing that there is a gift in this and some good will come from it. I don't care what, what you like diamonds under pressure or every cloud has a silver lining or something. But then the second thing is don't hide from the way that it makes you feel. That has been given to you as a gift. And it doesn't mean that you have to find it happy pappy in a day, in an hour, in a minute. But what I have found, Petra, is the better, the more consistent I'm doing this, the faster I am at coming up with something that's awesome. And I approach this at everything. If I have to go do dishes right now, just so we are clear, that's my nanny who watches my baby, and she will do the dishes today. And if she doesn't, I have to do them. Now, I don't like to do dishes. So that would mean I would go suffer doing dishes. Ah, fuck this. I don't want to do dishes. What am I doing? I should have other people doing this for me. Blah, blah, blah. Bull. What? I, why should I suffer? Yeah. So instead, I'm like, how can I enjoy doing dishes? What's a gift in this? Okay. Oh, I know. I'll listen to music. So next thing I know, I'm like, naked. I'm not really doing through this, but I get naked. I rub chocolate all over myself and I do dishes. I don't, but that I could, if that's what turned me on, it doesn't, but I'm saying I try to find some ways really badly, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that would would be better dishes, but I try to find a way to enjoy it. And I do that by experiencing the emotion. Now I know we don't have a lot more time and I went way off on this, but Petra, I saw you like in, I'm like, I'm like, ah, like you just said, I feel uncomfortable every day about this. Fuck that, girl. Like, I'm not your coach. That's not my thing. But, like, what I have found since you asked is you go into it. Yeah. And then on the other side, like, you exhaust yourself. You ever see a little kid cry like I have a little kid now? A little baby. And he's like, what's wrong? I don't know, man. He doesn't speak English. I'm like, use your words. You're six months old. Pop, 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 pop. No, I don't beat him around. But I'm like, but you know what? If I just let him cry, sometimes I'm just like, dude, step step back. And I just let him cry. And then I come back up and I'm like, how's, how's that? It's been a couple of minutes. And he's tired, tuckered out. 
He's like, I'm done. And I'm not done. Okay, cool. Just let you have it out. And pretty soon, they'll fall asleep. You run through it. You can't stay in that peak. Oh, you know, so go through it. And then on that clarity that can open up, tell the truth and capture your own revelations in your own journal so that you know the truth instead of trying to hide from the challenges. And you asked about books. I'm going to go ahead and tie this in before. I know this is like a rant. You're like, this is the easiest yeah. interview I've ever done. I asked one question. The guy doesn't shut the fuck up for two minutes. <laughs> I just want to capture a couple of things that you said hmm. before we uh, sort of close with, with the book and a little bit about we'll you. Um, the important thing here is your story doesn't have to be the same. Like I've never had a dog that died in my life. Um, but yet I resonated with the lesson with the, what, you know, what, what came out of it for you and, and just allowed a new perspective on my own life. Feel the emotion in this day and age. There's, it's so fucking easy to distract yourself, to not feel, to, to watch Netflix the whole time, to use drugs and alcohol, to uh, use, uh, you know, all sorts of like pointless shit, materialism, all that sort of thing, to avoid sitting with, reflecting and feeling. Even on the go, you can have a podcast, you can have a book, like we're always filling our, our mind and I, can, and I can see it all the time with the clients who come in with depression, anxiety, those sorts of things. They're avoiding, 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 and then it comes out in, in sort of other ways. Um, so really profound. I've learned so much. So tell us about the books and how people can kind of learn to use their story in a useful way. <clears throat> okay, well, I know we have to be brief here. So, um, so everything we talked about today is relevant to you crafting your own story to change your life. And and to impact others and change the world. And it comes down to you finding the beauty through the challenges. And where oftentimes we want to lock that shit in the closet. We want to lock in our addictions. We want to lock in our failures. We want to lock in our fuck-ups. We want to lock in all of the evil sexual shit, deviance that we may have. Lock that up. Don't let anybody know about it. We don't want anybody to know about how we were raised, how we just did something we shouldn't have done just a minute ago. We don't want anybody to know about that deep, dark secret. There's all the skeletons in the closet. The crazy thing is – and I spent – one of my big secrets that I never wanted to tell anybody was that I uh, had gone to jail. And I spent a night in jail for and uh, for stealing when I was like 18 years old, and it was the greatest gift that I ever could have gotten because it scared me straight. Like I was scared to death of like doing anything evil. And at, at the time, I was like everything was like, what can I get? Because I remember I grew up a little broke or I felt broken. We didn't have enough money for things, and so I just wanted to take. And I thought, and it was also sneaky, and it was also a challenge, and I liked that. And so, so I was always trying to figure out how to take. And uh, when I had to spend a night in jail, <laughs> I had 24 hours, it was like the worst. And then I was scared to death that anybody would ever find out about it. Yeah. So I, did, I one soul on the planet knew other than like the friggin' judge and the guys that arrested me because I hid that for years. Yeah. And when and I first grows and our shame grows around it, right? And it becomes a thing and we can't show up fully and it affects other areas of our life. It didn't just grow, man. It was like instant. My had a belief system that said this is the worst ever. And that was it. And so it was awful. And so the first time I acknowledged it to someone, I was so scared to death. It was a girlfriend I had. And I was like, I had to get this off my chest. And I finally did it. And she didn't hate me. You know, she didn't she didn't judge me. And what I found is that if I opened my closet and let all that shit out, that people actually liked me and associated to me for having gone through those things. And the more truth I could tell, the more connection I had with people. Now, this is freaking insane. I tell this to people who have some skeletons in their closet and aren't accustomed to using this pattern of being authentic and telling the truth and sharing their vulnerabilities. And they're scared to fucking death about the, what the world is going to see. And the truth is, is that one of the most powerful things you can put into your book, and I've got two of them here we were going to talk about, but it never freaking came up. But um, one of the most powerful things you can put in a book that can help you connect with people, see a book, is brings authority to your stories. Hold the book a little bit higher. I just want to see the titles fully. I I will. I'll read those in a second, but I want to, I want to, so a book brings authority to your story. See, if you learn how to master your own story, you can transform your own life, but it can be one that can transform others. If you put it into writing, like people associate, I mean, authors get more credibility these days than doctors. 
it's not necessarily what I agree with, but it's just a fact of the matter. And when, so one of the books is called how to write the right book fast. One of the core things I do to position yourself as an authority is one of the things that this talks about and how to get your book done in 90 days or less and make it a number one bestseller. And that's kind of the promise of this. But, um, the way to capture authority is to publish a book and the way to connect with people is to tell your challenging stories. Like you make a promise and then you tell a story, a problem with a result. That's it. Like you go ahead and say, nobody likes to hear a story of everything's going awesome. No. It's boring shit. Like, hey, everything was awesome in my life. I'm even more awesome today and I'll be more awesome tomorrow. Boring story. Yeah. But if you say I had this big goal and then I suffered and had these challenges through it, and if I'm going to be honest with you, this is my hardest thing. You People fall in love with you for your challenges. The things that we are most scared of to share with the world are our greatest assets and people don't recognize it. So what I do is I help people craft the right messages to have to write a book, not just get it done quickly and I could read all the stories on it, but another one of my books is about how you can make big money with your book and I know Petra you said that people are asking you when is my book coming out. So don't get distracted by this title that says big money because that's like Screw you, big money, dickhead, you want to make a whole bunch of money. Look, money is a reflection of how much good you're giving the world. Like if you if you look in your bank account and you're not happy with the number, then you need to find ways to contribute and give more. Because when you know you and I get hungry, we go buy a sandwich, and we're pretty happy to give that money for the sandwich. So yeah. we, we just need to find more that we can give. Yeah. The other part of this title that's hard to read, big money with your book without selling a single copy. Big money with your book without selling a single copy. It's getting clear on what a book is for. And these two books I could make as gifts. If you want me, I'll give you links so you can put these in the show notes so that people can get a free copy of the book. But I don't hold anything back. I share with people how they can get their book done, how they can make big money with it. I tell you a bunch of stories that prove the challenges. The core thing that's going to connect with everybody reading my listening to this or reading this book are going to be the stories. About overcoming adversity and turning that into your asset, period. End of story. And we all need to learn how to become better at crafting that story in our own lives every single day. And that's why I'm passionate about waking up about this every day. And if my seven-year-old daughter could write a book and then build a business behind it, she made $1,000 a couple weekends ago. We stood up on in front of a few kids and we taught them how to write books. And then they gave her some money afterwards because they said this is awesome and they wanted to buy some of her stuff. We have things to sell. She didn't make a thousand dollars on making a thousand book sales. That wasn't it. She made big money on the back end. She has a mission and a vision to serve ten thousand kids to become authors. And she's going back and forth between a thousand and ten thousand. We get confused about numbers. I don't really know what her real mission is, but but we've, we've got close to 100 kids. We've already helped publish books. If kids can do it, yeah, then adults can do it. And I help people do that every day. And if any of your audience wants to reach out and say, hey, I'll give you a link for that as well. Definitely. Looking forward to the links. Um, and what's your website just if people want to um, connect with you for, for other reasons as well? You know what? This will be easy. I will give you links directly to these books so you can get them for free. So I've given three away. Um the gift book I just mentioned, uh, this big money book, and then how to write the right book. But if you just go to trevorcrane.com, all my books are listed there, and you can find those on the front page of my website. Click the button, and the book will look a lot like that, and it'll get you to the place. I'll send you a free book. I'm excited. I'm I'm in. I'm going to read them all and see what happens, right? Maybe next time we talk, I'll have a book. Who knows? (laughs) Um, I'll help you get this done. So here's the other thing. You are a coach. And you work with people. Oftentimes people think they, I would say my third secret, because you just said that and it's like, okay, I'll get the book. See, here's what's great about entrepreneurs. We're like, fuck it, I'll do it. I'll get the book. I'll take the course. I'm going to step up and get it done. Yes. Like I went to a Tony Robbins event and uh, there were 25 couples there. Because I got really into Tony. Like when I went to my first event, I like bought everything he did. And I didn't have the money to start like that. That sounds like I'm really rich. That was not the case. I just found a way, right? There's a whole story about that. But I went to an event that was really exclusive. It was um, kind of a, a lot of money to get there. And I'm there with a the girlfriend at the time. And there's 25 couples that were in Fiji. And it's about relationships. And I was in a relationship. And, uh, and of course, I thought that I was fucking awesome and my 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 dumb bitch. I didn't. That's not what I said at all. But I'm like, I'm sure the problem is her. And she was like, sure, the problem was me. I, it was the biggest personal development seminar I've ever been to. And so he's teaching something and I start losing my shit. And I'm like, man, what's wrong with me? 
why can't I figure this out? And I was like, and it took me uh, for half a day. I was messed up at this seminar because I was like, man, I'm a loser. <laughs> All this, this self doubt had come up and, and I was like, but I can't figure it out. And I was like, hold on a second. You just paid like 25 grand to be here on an island with Tony. At what stage can you like just go ahead and maybe go, uh, excuse me, Mr. Robbins, um, I'm having a problem with this one over here. Get help. Mm. So I was really struggling and I'm like, I need help. So who's going to help me? Who's going to help me? I, I need to figure this out myself. I don't need any help. I should figure it out myself. Like entrepreneurs love freaking solving problems. Like I'll do it. Bullshit. It's true. You know what? You find mentors, man. What you need is you need a mentor. You need help. Petra, you help people every day that are going through issues. You are not alone. Like the secret power that we have access to is other people to help us. This is true. You know, even when uh, Dorothy landed in Oz, right, for the Wizard of Oz, she was picked up by a house and landed in Kansas. She was in Kansas, then she landed in Oz, and she's like, oh, no, where am I? I want to go home. She's just got her little dog. But instead, she, like, turned around, and she's like, does anybody know how to get to Kansas? Because she asked, right, because she wasn't a guy. A guy's like, I'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll figure I got it. But, no, she was, like, vulnerable, and she goes, I just landed here, and I have no idea where I am, and I need to get home. And all the little people showed up, and they're like, there's a yellow brick road. Like, all you got to do is just follow the path. And there's a little song about it, follow, 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 which is why my poem makes so much sense, because it rhymes. And so they said, follow it. And then along the path, she met people that had to help her. All too often, business owners think we got to do this shit ourselves. I got to figure out YouTube. I got to figure out my own podcast. I got to figure out how to publish my book. Hey, I failed, Petra, to publish my book for 20 years. I will give you the formula. That's the recipe. Good luck. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it. I, you totally freaking can. I have clients that read my shit and they're like, holy, and they do it. But very few people do it all on their own. We need help. The secret is to find someone who's got the path and then hire the mentor. Holy crap. Hire them. Ask for their help. Have them hold your hand and give you those little things to keep you moving in the right direction. And you create magic. Most oftentimes people are like, I got to figure it out myself. And it is one of those, it's just a lie. Abundant, rich people don't do that. They go ahead and they decide what they want, and then they have two options. They can figure out how to do it, which is a long path. Yeah. Or they can just find someone else to do it. So there's, there's a shift. How am I going to do it? Or who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? You find somebody, and they come in, and it's done. Yeah. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. We have to finish. Um, but on, on that note... We can, we'll, we'll have you on again uh, once you got the next book out. Um, get help. I learned so much. I'm sure our listeners are going to learn a lot as well. Thank you so much for your time, Trevor, and, and the laughs and the connection and learning about my dad and all the rest of it. Appreciate it so much. Um, thank you for your time. Nice to meet you, Patrick. I look forward to connecting with you and your audience soon.